Good day, everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, SLAS Scientific Director Marshall Brennan. Today, we're chatting with Nikita Singh. She joins us from Artificial Inc., a technology startup offering an easy-to-use platform for orchestrating everything that happens in a lab, including manual tasks. Recently, Artificial won the SLAS Ignite Award, which means that they'll now be going on to compete in the Pistoia Alliance Startup Challenge. In any case, it really is our treat to have Nikita with us, and so welcome, Nikita. Thank you for having me. Well, if you've listened to the podcast before, then you know that the very first thing we need to do is subject you to the SLAS challenge of describing either your day-to-day work or your company in 10 words or fewer. Can you give us the elevator pitch? All right, let's give it a shot. So Artificial is building a software platform that makes it easier to go from scientific ideas to automated results as quickly as possible. All right, there we go. So that's really exciting because obviously that really ties in with a, a lot of things that we value here at SLAS, which is part of the reason why you know we uh, awarded you with the Ignite Award. And so let's dig into that a little bit. Tell us in a more verbose way, what, what are the problems you're trying to solve and, and how are you guys accomplishing that? For sure. So I think uh, something for me personally that was really interesting, I the last time I was in a lab was over 10 years ago. So I used to run experiments and you know pipette on the bench. And when we went through this journey with artificial and started talking to more and more customers and understanding their pain points, there was this reality that the lab today looks a lot like the lab when I was doing experiments on the bench over a decade ago. So to dig into that a little bit more, you know, there's still a ton of manual steps <laughs> in lab work. A lot of the software is really siloed and kind of stitched together in a piecemeal way. And then I think you know, really passionately for me, there's a ton of automated systems and the instruments and robots are getting smarter, but it's really difficult to use them if you don't know how to code. So there's this really interesting reality that the institutions that are building these next-gen therapies, these next-generation vaccines and medicines aren't actually equipped with the tools that they need to scale and run efficiently. So that's really what we've been focused on at Artificial in how do you make it easy to go from, I have an experiment I want to run and allow you to leverage the equipment, the robots, the instruments, and the people in your lab to get a result quicker. So our first product to dig into it a little bit more is called A-Lab Suite, uh, which essentially brings together scientists, operators, and automation engineers on one single software platform. And what we do is we allow a scientist to say, I want to run this experiment. We automatically batch all the work that's both manual and automated together. We guide them through how to load systems and unload them and interact with them and then consolidate all the data back in the cloud. So it's really about empowerment and enabling labs to run more efficiently, more reliably, and more repeatably. That's really awesome. Yeah, your comments about uh, going into the lab and sort of seeing that nostalgia in action, it reminds me of uh, a pharmaceutical company that I worked for in my younger days that I will leave nameless, where when I was working for them, there was this aspirational lab of the future product. And then you know, many, many years later, I gone back and got to tour that lab and it looked a heck of a lot like the old labs and it was just with a fancier paint job and when i talked to some of the researchers there the question that came up is just you know why weren't these you know cutting edge researchers who had functionally limitless pockets to dip into to create the lab of the future why didn't they take more risks and the comment that they got is that you know especially like the biologists were reluctant to do things in ways that are different than the way they had. And they pointed to things like reproducibility, you know, trying to be able to mesh with other laboratories. Obviously, at SLAS, we believe that this is a challenge that's worth overcoming. But what's your approach to talking to people who are having 
these concerns, you know, again, especially over reproducibility, which is actually pretty significant. For sure. I think one of the big things for me as someone who has worked with robots and automation and like a host of different domains is understanding that they're really a tool, right? They're not a replacement. They're not going to do all the work, but they're a tool to leverage like anything else. And I think something that's really powerful is how do you take this complicated tool and make it so it's easy to actually use? Mm -hmm. I think what's really difficult about the lab space relative to other domains is the fact that it's so flexible, right? And so we have this phrase internally that we sometimes use, which is life is more complex than a car. And (laughs) building a factory for a car is one thing. You're doing the same thing. You want to do it repeatedly and you want to get a car at the end. But with science, it's both an art form and like a scientific method, right? So there's a certain creativity to it. And codifying that in a set of tools and making those approachable enough, I think is critical to making robots and automation more accessible. So for me, that's really like the thesis I try to go in with, with customers is how do I make your life easier versus mm-hmm. let's build this behemoth lab of the future that can execute and you know work on its own, but more let's change the way you do your work. It almost sounded like you were you were going to say that you'd found a way to uh, codify or put put an algorithm for serendipity in place, which would be really fascinating. But I assume that's <laughs> part of the roadmap, right? Yeah, um, maybe a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about uh, you know the customers you deal with most, what challenges are you most excited uh, for your customers being able to address using your technology that they wouldn't be able to afford, uh, do before? Like you mentioned that you know this isn't necessarily about replacing them. So the question becomes is what is the most aspirational use of artificial inks technology you've seen so far? Yeah. Um, so we've been fortunate enough to have great pilot customers. Uh, namely, we worked with Bean Therapeutics out of Cambridge, Massachusetts this past year. So Bob, actually, who's the Associate Director of Automation there, gave a great talk at FLAS on Automation for All. Um, and I'll summarize it here, but I urge everyone to watch it because I think he's a great speaker. But really what problem Bean was trying to solve is you know, scientists in their lab want to run experiments. And when they walk up to a work cell, it's intimidating. So how do we make that easy to use, right? And so we worked with them over the last six months on designing a system so that when a scientist walks up to that work cell in that moment, the first thought is not, this is intimidating, let me do it on the bench. The first thought is, let me give it a try. So I think that is the most impactful from an entry point, right? Because if you Mm -hmm. can't get someone to use your product, nothing you do is actually valuable (laughs) afterwards. In terms of what we've seen be instrumentally valuable sort of leading up from that is also to support equipment vendors. And so if you think about some of the work we're doing with Thermo, right, and other folks we've talked to in the space, a lot of whom are represented at SLAS, there's this powerful need in the domain to allow labs to use equipment from different vendors all within one lab ecosystem, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. I want to grab one work cell from one vendor, and then I have a liquid handler from another vendor, et cetera. And being able to homogenize that for end users in a lab, I think is another critical need, right? So every time you interact with an instrument or a piece of automation, your experience is the same as a scientist, as an operator, as an automation engineer. So I would say those tactically for a user, because I'm a product person, I think in those terms, are the most practical benefits. If I think about it from like a return on investment and kind of concrete benefits for the folks that we work with, it's really about making time and cost savings through optimized batching. It's about lowering the barrier to entry so you can train up lab techs, you can train up operators faster and avoid turnover. And then it's really about more traceability of data. So the more experiments that get run through this sort of consolidated view, the more traceability you have in the data that's produced. 
Right. And that kind of goes back to speak to the reproducibility comments we had before is that, you know, once we get, you know, either have a critical mass of people using this technology or even better, just having it integrate with all of the tools people are familiar with, then actually that, that situation gets even better, right? Because suddenly, you know, the processes are considerably more streamlined than they would be with, you know, two human hands. <laughs> exactly. I think one customer story I actually love is, you know, they were saying how when something goes wrong in the scientific data on an experiment, they have to go on this wild goose chase for like hours <laughs> through one database that has the instrument logs and then some folders with some CSV files and then, you know, like looking at the plate itself. And so if you can have this complete consolidated view of all the manual work, the automated work, and you know everything in one place. My goal as someone who drives product is really, can that be like a 10-minute inspection, right? Like this run looks off, great. We need to quarantine the data and start again. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, you've said a couple of times now that you're a product person, which is something that uh, you know I, I have a deep appreciation for. So I want to dig in a little bit. What's your background? How did you get into product work? How did you get to work with our official you know, just tell us a little bit about your path to where you are now. For sure. So as I mentioned earlier on, I used to work in labs. And so I got into this habit, you know, earlier on when I was really young, I grew up in a family of engineers. And so I thought my misguided rebellion in middle school was that I was going to be a scientist. Uh, and so I started to email like hundreds of professors every single year. And I would hope that one of them would let me in for free and let me work as a high school student in their lab. And so, you know, one to two of them said yes. And I ended up working in an immunology lab and then a biomechanics lab. And ultimately, I uh, met this professor who was doing surgical robotics. And so kind of got pulled into the robotics and engineering side I was trying to avoid all along. But can, can there, I take a second and just say that it's every parent's dream to have a child who rebels by going and joining a scientific lab, like, or an yeah, engineering group in this case? Like, your parents must have been tickled pink that that's, you know, your, your idea of rebellion. I mean, my dad thrived in it and did experiments with me every weekend. Like I have spent hundreds of hours boiling water to find optimal equations for it. So, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, that's really the start of being interested in the domain and then kind of pulled into the robotics side. And I read about this professor at Berkeley, Ken Goldberg, who was doing work on surgical robotics and new media. And I'd always struggled with like, how do I blend my passion for art and design with this core like science and engineering side of my brain. And he seemed to have found a way to think in both dimensions. And so I kind of followed him to Berkeley uh, and got really pulled into robotics and sort of how you think about it in terms of usability and how people interact with them and their sort of role in society as a whole. So from there, you know, ended up working at a few places and ended up at the media lab at MIT, actually, and did my work in the personal robot group. And that for me was really a phase of my life where I explored how do you bring robots and automation to human environments that are complex, mm-hmm. right? So like I worked on aging and education uh, and my thesis was on the home. And so in all of these environments, much like life sciences, what the people are doing is complex and the robots and automation are meant to serve as tools. And so really, you know, the journey into artificial was this interesting blend of like, I had the scientific past and something that I was really passionate about. And then robots, which have been, I guess, omnipresent in my life since then. And then the UX part or the design part that is so core to sort of what I love. So I think I finally found a way to blend all the things I wanted to, I would say. That's awesome. Would you say that the uh, the transition to working with a startup was uh, easy for you? What what challenges have you faced, you know, making that jump 
So I think something that was interesting for me, like I actually worked at Palantir Technologies for a few years, right? And in some way, and a couple other places, and you're working on these very immediate problems, right? Like what does someone need today? And then when I was at the Media Lab, it was working on these 30-year problems of like, what is the future of technology? And so I think about a startup a little bit like the in-between where you want to ride that edge of the, you know, what's really difficult to do, but still possible enough that you can create and nurture and grow a thing. And so for me, it was really exciting because I got to see two ends of the spectrum in my career and then getting to sort of pull it together. I was really fun. I think the hardest part, and I sometimes joke about this with folks is, you know, I, I picked a really complicated like life science domain and then automation and robots is complicated. And so merging the two means you have to read a lot of material. But I think that's been really fun. That does sound a lot of, like a lot of fun. It's, you know, I think it can be really intimidating trying to think about that, like riding that edge, right? Because I think a lot of people, especially coming out of academia, have, you know, a very different perspective on like what makes a project valuable than ultimately what you need to do in any sort of industry, but especially the startup. And so, you know, in hearing your passion for thinking about products, it's like that that's usually the missing piece there. I guess thinking about advice that you'd have for folks who are in academia who want to start thinking about how they translate their work toward, you know, something more applicable, uh, something they can maybe translate to uh, a startup. What would you say is the uh, sort of thought process that they should go through now to set themselves up for success? I definitely thought a lot about this because I almost stayed and did a PhD, interestingly. And, you know, never say never. <laughs> There's always the world. But I think one of the things that really stuck with me is when you have an idea that's so forward looking, realizing it in the world means that, you know, you're working in a constrained system, right? It's much like creativity where it's best done when constrained to a degree. Otherwise, you're floating everywhere. And so there's this really interesting opportunity when you're trying to deploy a technology, right? Where you have to set the boundaries of the problem and the constraints that you want to choose. And I think earlier on, I sort of felt like we want to do everything. So how do we put this box around it while still feeling excited and fulfilled about what we're creating? And I think being artful about that and being willing to like fail really quickly helps a lot, right? So like you have a hypothesis, you put some constraints, you test it with a customer, and then you come back and iterate on it. And we've done that so many times and we've had wonderful people to help support it. But I think there's an art to that that I hope to take with me in my life. So I would definitely say experiment a lot with the thesis you have. In a lot of ways, it kind of sounds like, you know, the sort of logic that researchers are probably familiar with, but instead of their laboratory being a bench, it's interacting with customers or potential customers. You know, that's really great advice. Thinking about looping it back to where we started, obviously, you know, Artificial, we're really proud to have uh, y'all as uh, Ignite Award winners. Has the fame gone to your head yet? How has that affected Artificial? <laughs> well, I will say we've all been really excited about it. And I think um, actually SLAS this is a really cool milestone for us in the company because the first time we came was last year and we were in person in San Diego. And uh, we're a remote team. So it was one of the first times we all met together in person, right? So oh, it was really exciting. And um, one of the things that I remember is like, you know, as someone who thrives on product, I like to show, not tell. And so mm -hmm. the first year we were kind of telling people what we were working on and we found folks like Bob to collaborate with. And then this year, I feel like we got to show it with like an actual demo and really rally together to, you know, come back to the community and show what we built in the last year. So I think that was the most exciting. And I think it's definitely been a highlight of 2021, even though it's been two months. So you can ask me <laughs> in a little bit if it still holds true. But I think 
it's been a wonderful experience and we're excited to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're really proud to have you as part of our, our community. Just the thinking toward the, uh, you know, the uh, Pistoia Alliance Startup Challenge, which is obviously, you know, the, the next part of, uh, you know, this recognition process. What are the sort of forward thinking things that we should know about your company? Like, what are you guys really excited about doing, you know, in the, the immediate future? Like, what's the next uh, next punch in the one-two for us? So we definitely met some wonderful folks that we've been talking to as co-development partners for this year. Uh, but I think something I'm really excited about is, you know, we are really trying to incubate our product and platform with a core set of folks. Uh, and then we'll also be launching our flagship sort of beta product this year. So personally, I'm really excited about getting that in the hands of more and more users <laughs> to test it, to know more and iterate on what we're building. And I'm excited to take what we've learned from Beam and folks like Thermo and then you know actually do this for more people. So really excited for that in 2021. And we're hoping to get that out later this year. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about artificial, about maybe potentially getting involved with um, your technology? And then do you have any sort of last parting thoughts for the folks in the audience? For sure. Um, so I would definitely go to our website, which is just www.artificial.com. Um, so easy, rememberable domain name. And uh, I think, you know, for me, I'm really grateful to be part of this community. And I think one sort of anecdote I'll leave everyone with is I actually, during research interviews two years ago, talked to a couple of people and they actually dropped by the booth to just say hi. And I think that reminded me of even in a virtual conference, how awesome this community is as someone who came into it only in the last few years. And so thank you for doing everything you do. And we're looking forward to more of it. Well, certainly uh, when we can all get back together in person, you know, it's going to be one heck of a reunion. And so... On behalf of the New Matter Podcast, SLAS, and our listeners, thank you so much. Congratulations to you and your company. And we really look forward to seeing uh, what Artificial does next. Awesome. Thank you so much.